Welcome back to another episode of Being an Artist is Fucking Killing Me. I'm Corinne. And I'm Rainy. Welcome back. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, y'all. We're December. Fuck. We're in December. It's crazy. Does anybody else feel that like November was the shortest month of the year? Yeah, I mean, it was short. I also feel like days are really short right now. And maybe that's because I mean, I'm not are. doing a whole of a hell lot. <laughs> but they are so, are also, in fact, short because there's no sun. Exactly. There's no sun. <laughs> I think it was like three days ago. Maybe it was like Monday. It like I woke up and it was just dark outside and it just rained all day <laughs> and there was no sunlight and everybody just was like, everybody in our house was so lethargic. We were all just laying. <laughs> so unsure unaware <laughs> just like it was like you woke up and you just immediately didn't want to try with the day oh yeah I'm pretty sure I was in the bath by like 11 a.m oh yeah percent. <laughs> <laughs> I was just uh, like I'm cold it looks disgusting outside I'm just gonna take a bath my day's over at 11 a.m yeah exactly <laughs> um that being said, we just want to clarify a couple of things. There's been some rumors surrounding public spaces, especially around within the dance community and mm -hmm. what's happening to them. And um, Natasha Powell, who is just, man, such a leader for this Toronto dance community, like so wonderful. So wonderful. She gets shit done. She's so intelligent, but she's like looked into a couple of things. Um, if you don't know, Dance Makers announced that it will be its final season this year and that they currently mm -hmm. appointed Natasha to the artistic director for the final season. Yes. Um, just informing everybody that Dance Makers will be closing July 31st, 2021. Mm -hmm. That is what we know of right now. We do not know if that means that the space will be closed in January. There was lots of confusion about January and what that meant. Um, I don't know if like the statement wasn't uh, edited properly or I don't know what happened, but there was a little bit of, un there was not enough clarity really in what was happening there, but it is confirmed. Dance Makers will be closing July 31st, 2021. And Natasha will be the artistic producer for that final season. And um, she's going to make it fantastic because she's an absolute saint yeah one more thing is um she also because again she's an angel uh <laughs> contacted andy at dover courthouse so if you didn't know there was a bunch of uh, posts flying around that dover courthouse was um up for rent i believe yep and nobody really knew what that meant and it was kind of flying around the facebook instagram circuit a couple of days after the dance makers announcement so what um, Natasha has to say about it is that um, she emailed Andy at Dover Courthouse to get some facts. The owner is trying to see how he can cover rent while no events can take place. If someone wants to pay the rent, then there's a conversation to be had. If not, it will be business as usual, but time will tell. So mm -hmm. again, that was a statement directly from Natasha Powell, who had contacted, um, I'm assuming the person who runs Dover Courthouse, his name is yep. Andy. Um, so we don't know what's going to be happening there, but to me, it sounds like they, I mean, Dover Courthouse hasn't been taking any rentals in, in pro probably been taking quite a big hit within yes. rentals. Um, not as many performances as we all know have been happening. It lost all of its, you know, intensive revenue, all of its kind of beloved revenue. It looks like too. I think beloved moved over to Rail Path Arts. Yeah, who they often ran stuff over at Dover Courthouse. Um, so we're not sure really what's what's happening with that um but 
if you're a wealthy, you know, arts lover, philanthropist, if you're a wealthy philanthropist and you just want to pay some rent at some spaces for people, that would be cool too. You know, it can't be that expensive to pay for an entire building just like to keep it open. How much do we think that building is? Like what, when that rental thing went up, how much was the rent per month? Just out of my own curiosity. Cause that's all, there's what, how many studios in there? There's the lower one. There's the middle one, and then there's the top one. Correct? There's three floors. There's three floors. I feel floors. like Fran posted the thing. She posted the ad of it was like for sale or not for sale, but for rent. For rent. Yeah. Um, eighteen thousand dollars a month. <laughs> what? Eighteen thousand dollars a month. Eight. That is like not what I expected <laughs> that to be. That's insane. Is it because it's commercial rental property? Yeah, probably. I mean, 18, I can't even, what is interesting to me is like, I can't even imagine at its peak points, how it's making $18,000. I don't know. There was lots of things that ran on a weekly basis. Like there was like jams, like improv jams every Sunday. There was. Yeah. Classes. I know. I know it's not just like the contemporary dance community that's renting it out. Yes. That's insane. I don't know if they were making that kind of money, but you know, we don't, I don't know. Seems like a lot of money in our minds, but for probably commercial space, it's probably either like low ball or on par because it's also like right off Bloor Street, right? Like it's right along a subway line. It's pretty central yeah. in the grand it scheme puts, of things. It kind of puts into perspective a little bit. I don't know if you guys remember this, but like a few years ago, um, Lauren, uh, what's her last name? The, uh, used to run Alias. The woman who used to run Alias used to Lauren run the Cook. Alias. Lauren Cook. She was doing the Alias intensive. And it was a, such a good, like, it was a, probably one of the best Toronto intensives that yes. we had for a really long time. Like, it was very well done. It yes. was so cool. It had, like, so many different people coming in. She did a yes. really, like, that entire company. I think it's Lauren and um, there's one other person that, like, were the main heads of it. Yeah. Like, it was a really good intensive. And, like, every dancer in the city, basically, like, a lot of contemporary dancers would do that intensive. Yeah. And I feel like it was well-priced. Yeah, I think so as well. But like, it kind of puts into perspective. I think her last year, they didn't get like funding for it, which is oh yeah, still insane to me that they didn't get funding. Mm-hmm. But that she kind of posted something on Facebook about, about everything that happens. But like, it really puts into perspective if Dover Courthouse is $18,000 a month, yeah. Alias ran for, I think, three weeks at its absolute peak. Yeah, maybe two or three weeks. weeks. Yeah. And like, I think throughout the entire three weeks, like, I think it was like all day on Monday to Friday, there was stuff going on Saturday to Sunday. Like it was like a full, they maybe took Sunday off, but I think there was actually like a perform. I think they had events happening. Yeah. Um, it puts into perspective how much they were probably paying in rental fees. And like, let's just assume that the markup is 20% on top of that. So like, $18,000 divided by four let's say there's four weeks in a month and then like four weeks in a month yeah but sometimes you know it goes like a little bit like there's a few days going on and off but like (laughs) four weeks in a month yeah um and forty five hundred dollars a week and then whatever the markup is for how much they were getting charged for that rental so it like just hearing that it was eighteen thousand dollars for the month and that's just like how much of their business is paying yeah is insane to think about when you think about that alias intensive. Yeah. And then they're bringing in international artists that they're paying to be there mm-hmm. and putting up and musicians and 
Yeah. Yeah, that's, I did not expect it to be that much. That's really crazy. I wonder, what do you think the budget was for an alias intensive? Like 50 grand? I think it was like something like that. I remember when she had posted about it, it was- She was real Yeah, but it was a number that I think all of us were like, how? How did that number come up? I think that was like a lot of the big, like what? Like besides like paying and trying to keep it low, it was still like a number that was so much for an intensive- that yeah. like was confusing to a lot of folks. So I, I don't know. I want to say it was like 50 at 80, but I, I honestly do not remember. Mm. I mean, yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if it was like 50 grand, just like knowing that the artists that they brought in were like, that's what also made it so good is like mm-hmm. the high quality, very well sought after dance artists all from all yeah. over the world were coming into Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. She did like such a good job with yeah. that intensive. It's sad. That's not here anymore. Yeah. And the one, the one thing that I also like really appreciate about that is when the fact that it was in Toronto meant that it was, you were training with these people with like 20 other people, you Mm -hmm. know, the other way to see these artists or to train with these artists is to go to the big festivals in Europe where in a class is like 60 people. Yeah. Well, it depends what you're at. If you're at Impulse 10 versus if you're at like HJS or like B12, it, it really depends which one you're talking about, but if you were in like a technique class, there was lots of people in there. If you yeah. were in like a research kind of stream where it was a little bit smaller or yeah. is typically a little bit smaller, but sometimes you're in a class with 60 people yeah, and you're just, you're not getting like the individualized attention or as much one-on-one support. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I think when we were doing that one with Lida, is that her name? we were doing like site-specific outdoor stuff and there was like Mm. what 12 of us in it yeah and yeah there was like lots of um well there wasn't lots but there was like yeah 12 of us that we performed with probably yeah which is whereas if you go to like impulse tans (laughs) like when I was at impulse tans I was like in Peter Jasko's technique class for three hours every morning and it was probably had like 50 people in it yeah and the only person Peter Jasko really paid attention was James Vu and fam who as we all know, dances with like Akram Khan <laughs> and everybody over in Europe. And it's just like absolutely phenomenal. So like, right. Of course. And like not to Peter Jasko's credit, like it's 50 plus people in a studio. So like who the fuck is he supposed to pay attention to? Right. You know, but <laughs> yeah, it's just like super interesting when you think about like the comparison to going overseas to train versus like alias was bringing these people over here. Yeah. Yeah. And now no one, there's not a lot of people doing it anymore. Like there's the lemon. Yeah. Yeah. Who else is running big time workshops in Toronto? In Toronto? Yeah. I don't see a lot of things happening. And honestly, like not a lot of, <laughs> there's people that are bringing people over, yes. but like, they're not well, they're not well liked people, <laughs> you know, metamorphosis. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> love that so I don't know what the what the situation is but I anyway it's just it really kind of puts into perspective what Lauren Cook was talking about so yeah totally totally yeah um the other thing I want to talk about is if you didn't see anybody everybody that fucking Grimes got a $90,000 factor grant you mean Grimes who's who just had a baby with Elon Musk who's living in fucking California Yes. With Elon Musk, like one of the richest people in the world, owner of Tesla? Uh, $90,000. And I was not surprised when I found out it was a factor grant. But for the people that don't know, 
factor grants are still publicly funded. Not 100%, but it's still money coming from the Canadian and the Ontario and probably the Toronto government's arts funding streams is going into these grants that she just doesn't fucking need. What, what does she need money for? I mean, we all know, I mean, like, I th- we, like we talked about before, we think it's going to her record label. So it's the big, it's the people who are making decisions on her record later, her people, um, the recording. It's like the people that are working in the studio. I don't think it's going directly to her pocket. It, maybe it's going to help pay her for anything or something or pay for stuff that she does. But I don't think it's going directly to her. No, I can't. That she shares with Elon Musk. <laughs> Daddy's credit card. <laughs> I'm still like very upset about it. I've heard like a lot of bullshit things about factor grants from other musicians too. Yeah. They just, doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter like what you're doing. It depends what record label you're on. And then they decide where that money goes. And it's not like you get the creative control like you would as an independent artist getting a grant. Right. Yeah. So fuck you. Yeah. It's annoying to definitely see. I mean, good for her record label for I mean they obviously have good people working for them who can write and apply for those things but convince the Canadians it's, it's to like give them super, money fucking, it's also super disheartening I've been thinking about this a lot about how disheartening it is when you see grants going to people that you know don't need the financial help not that you don't need the financial help like I think it's disheartening to see grants going to people when you when you see I don't know how to word this properly it's disheartening to see certain grants go to people when you know being in the community what working with that person is like mm-hmm. right yeah because public knowledge is like such an interesting thing and what people know and what people don't know and how how that gets like discussed on like grant boards is like very interesting to me you know mm-hmm because it's supposed to be like a jury of your peers right but it's not a jury of your peers no yeah 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 it's very interesting but god grant talks right we could go on forever yeah but anyway (laughs) guys our patreon page is up and live and Mm -hmm. if you've been a long-time listener and you're wondering why we have a camera set up sometimes it's because we have video for our podcast Mm -hmm. now um and those are only available on our patreon page they are not available on youtube um but you can get those at any subscription level and they have started at episode 100 so with the lovely hannah shaffy going forward you get to watch the videos Woo! and sometimes we do weird things and funny things and every time i'm editing them i see rainy and i we take sips of coffee at the same time just Siamese twin brain happening yeah (laughs) and they're very funny yeah Mm -hmm. so yes go to our patreon um subscribe to it help us out we really appreciate you sharing all this Mm -hmm. stuff yeah yeah um this week we have mp who is the founder of a magazine called ungarbage Mm-hmm. Here we go. Uh, my name's MP. I am the founder of Ungarbage Magazine. I don't think I can live without coffee. I mean, I wish I could drink it. I love like an espresso, yeah. I love lattes, but I just, once in a while, I'm like, I'll just try one today. I'm sure it'll be fine. 
And it's like, I get an incredible buzz, like I'm way too intense for a few hours. And then eight hours later, I literally feel like I'm gonna die. Like I'm like chest, like pressure on my chest. Really? Right. Like I'm gonna have a heart attack, I am dying. And then it just goes back to normal. Yeah. Eight hours later? Yeah, it's so, it's so crazy, I don't know. It's like something I guess that I don't have enzymes or something that I don't have to help digest the coffee so it stays in my system too long. Right. Can you drink tea? A little bit, but not like black tea, green tea, not too much. If I have matcha, I can only have like a little bit because it's just like... What about like, so you just have water? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can have like decaf coffee and yeah. stuff sometimes, but... Uh, Do you like the taste I still of get no? a bit of a buzz from the decaf because there's still really? a bit of caffeine in it. But it's like a reasonable buzz, which is good. <laughs> Interesting. It's so weird. Wow. I've been trying for so long. I can't do anything about it. Doesn't your body also like metabolize? How does your body metabolize alcohol? Fine. I, I don't know because I never get super drunk. Like mm. I never drink so much that I'm like, I don't remember what happened. Right. right. I always have a few drinks and I'm like, I'm okay. So I, so I don't know because I have like lots of stomach issues. So if I drink like two beers, like I, I'm dead. I have to go home because like my stomach hurts too much. Wow. wow. So I can't, uh, unless I have like a gin or like some clear drink. Right. It's okay. It but has to be like a liquor, like a hard alcohol. Yeah, yeah. If I had three beers, I'd be like, hey, hey I don't even have time to be drunk. I'd be like, I have to leave. I'm like dying over here. <laughs> right. So I feel like I wasn't meant for any kind of substance. In oh, a God. Way, you know? <laughs> Do you have like, I mean, yeah, that's crazy. I was going to ask if you, is it like an, a, a thing that is like, because it's like lots of things that people are like addicted to. Do you smoke? No, no. I'm, I'm kind of like the opposite of addiction. Right. I have like, I don't, I, I, I'm not interested in any of these things in a way. Yeah. yeah like yeah. I never thought, like my boyfriend will be like, oh, I'm going to go smoke a joint. I'm like, I would never want that. I don't know why I'm never like craving it or wanting to get out of my own kind of reality or like escape from right. whatever. I just never need that. I'm always like, why? I'm wasting my time. You know, I have some things I want to do that I want to like, that excites me and I feel like I never need that. Really? So it's not really, so it's okay if I can't really have it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> like, I just wasn't meant for it at all. Really? <laughs> do you feel like you, how do you feel about like the social aspect of it? It was weird like, when I was younger, because yeah. I would always be the driver, you know, I was the only yeah. one with a car. I would just drive all my friends home, but I could still have fun, even though everyone else is drunk and I'm not. Yeah. Like it, it was never like, oh, they're so annoying and I'm <laughs> not having fun. Right. But I, I feel like I'm also not super social in a way. Oh, like okay. I can be social to do things and like get together, create things. Yeah. But I'm not very good at like, I'm going to go to the bar and hang out with people. I, I feel like that drains me. Like it like takes all my energy mm. and I have to go home and just like, okay, no sound, no talking, no like. Right. It just, it just destroys me for some reason. Would you like describe yourself as an introvert then? I feel like I, it's funny. I did like a personality test mm. two weeks ago for a job I'm doing. And I'm kind of uh, right in the middle of extrovert and introvert. Right. Because it's like, if I have to talk for something, like I've been working in sales for years. Right. So if I like talk to convince people to buy things or to talk to about my ideas, it's mm -hmm. no problem. But just random everyday conversation, I feel very uncomfortable. Like, mm. I don't know what to say unless I go right. deep with people. Like, oh, what are we t really talking about right. here? But just like, hey, how are you doing that? I'm just always so bad at it. Right. But isn't that like kind of like a common mistake? conception is that like extra, it's like 
um, being charismatic is extroverted and being introverted is, or like being like um, by yourself is like introverted or like feeling awkward. Whereas like extrovert and introvert, it's more like people that are extroverted actually like energizes them being around people. Yeah. But yes. being introverted, it like energizes you to be alone. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like, I still, I'm still okay with being around people and it's fine, but yeah. it drains my energy. Like if right. I go to a dinner with friends, I leave, I'm, I'm exhausted. Like right. I, I need to go home now yeah. and just recharge. So by like when you were creating Ungarbage magazine, I'm sure you were like in a lot of mag like a lot of meetings with people and stuff. So were you just exhausted after being in meetings with people? I mean, I think it wasn't too bad because it was mostly like one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. meeting. Like I spent two months just meeting people because I didn't know anyone. I moved to Toronto just a few years ago. So right. I didn't know anyone in this field. Right. So just meeting everyone one by one. I'm also better online. Like if I'm texting with people oh, okay. or like uh, text, like messaging, that's totally fine. Yeah. But for some reason, the one-on-one -on -one is harder. But um, I mean, real life is harder, but one-on-one -on -one is, is usually fine. It's just group things. Yeah. Like social thing with a lot of people. I'm always like, I don't know. Right. <laughs> I don't know what to do with myself, Canada. Right. And I think it's just part of like always doing stuff. I feel like when I'm just socializing, I'm not doing anything. Uh, sometimes I don't know how to do that. You know, like, why am I here talking to people for no outcome? Like, uh, it's kind of something about me that's it's not necessarily a good thing. But I'm just kind of like, I'm just here and I could be at home creating something or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, editing something or working towards a project I'm interested in. Right. So it's like if you were in like group settings, like, for example, <laughs> if you were doing like a photo shoot for Ungarbage because it's like part of the work and because it's like something that you're like creating and you're doing and you're seeing like a substance after it, you're fine. But if it's just like meeting up with people, that's when it's like yeah 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 totally we did one of the photo shoots in the magazine we did two shoots in a day and it was 10 models mm. and so my entire apartment was upside down i moved all the furniture <laughs> mm. and there was people arriving and leaving every 15 minutes yeah. and it was madness for like 10 hours and after i just felt so energized because mm. i feel like we're creating something like it's it, your motive matters yeah. you know um but then if i were to go to a party Two hours later, I'd be like, okay, that's enough. Like, I need to go. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> that's enough partying, you know? <laughs> right. What, do you, what would you say about people that would be like, networking is a huge part of like any, um, any, not going to say passion, but any like career or like being in sales because mm -hmm. networking is such a big thing. Yeah, I think for me, it was never like a strength. So I could never go that way. Right. So I, I think you have an advantage if you can network and you're good with people. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. But because I was never good at that, I always had to be better at, uh, I know what I'm doing. I know my stuff or, you know, yeah, trying yeah. to have substance and trying to be like, I've been doing sales for a long time and it's decorating stuff. So trying to know the product and yeah. know the trends. And so I try to work my angle this way because I'm just not really good at just being friendly in a way. Not right. that I'm not like friendly, but right. I'm just not good at being like, hi, how's it going? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, what do you do sales for? Um, it's mostly custom window coverings. Oh, so okay. it's like we do custom blinds and curtains mm -hmm. and like reupholster furniture and stuff like that. Right. Uh, so I've been de doing decorating stuff for like 16 years. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. So why, why on Garbage Magazine then? Right. Well, I actually studied fashion design. Right. And I always like when I when growing up, I was always like looking at magazines and just being excited to like mm -hmm. go get the next 
issue for the next month because there was no, it was kind of like pre, pre-internet in a way. Like right. internet existed, yeah. but it was like no one has a computer at home. It was like a hard copy, yeah. Yeah, so I just um, wanted to bring back the essence of like sitting down mm-hmm. with something and just that and not having like a phone that you can scroll through so much content right. in five seconds and you feel like, whoa, you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. Just having something and I love paper, I love books. Mm-hmm. I think there's so much value in having something printed. And I love like something on the shelf, you know, I just, uh, it is beautifully printed. Like it feels really lovely to hold and hang on to. Yeah. It's yeah. Soft. It's very Thanks. Nice. It was super important to me that the quality is there. Yes. Like there's an experience by touching it. That's why I didn't want to send you the digital mm-hmm. copy because I was like, oh no, that's not what I want at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the opposite of why I did this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you take out the paper and you just lost kind of half of the experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I also feel like magazines today, they're just kind of advertising books. Mm-hmm. Like there's not a lot of content to them. Yeah, um, so and, true. And even new magazines that have content, a lot of it is like uh, stretched, you know, like mm-hmm. stretching the same content over pages and pages and then putting advertising. And I think that's normal because it's really costly to make. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work, so I totally understand. But I wanted to do something that's like packed with content, right? That has like a lot in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just really wanted to recreate that experience. And I also wanted to see like new, inspiring people that are not like what everyone's looking at, they're mm-hmm. not mainstream, and just talk about different, exciting ways of being in the world, right? So, what's the like, who is your main? If you were to like describe what your main demographic is for that magazine, what is it? Um, I feel like it's almost people who are a little bit older, like I would say like millennials, um, but there's people who are a little bit older, like Gen X, uh, women that have, that love the magazine that are talking to me about it a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's just for people who want to see, who want to read something different, uh, who just want to get out of, like I said, the mainstream ideas that are Mm -hmm. out there. Um, yeah, hmm. but I mean, I haven't really defined a um, specific demographic of who is this for right. because I just wanted to create it from like what I feel is needed and what hmm. I'm inspired to create. And then the people who like it can like it because right. I feel like it starting to define who it's for and everything becomes sort of like a business endeavor. Right. Yes. And I, it's totally important. Yeah. Totally. Um, it's a marketing strategy, right? Yeah. 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 And I mean, I have a major in marketing. I did like, you know, a, a bachelor in commerce, but I still feel like I wanted to do something in the artsy way instead of uh, focusing so much on the business side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know it's important. Yeah. No, that's okay. I was just wondering, how did you pick the articles and, and what you wanted to showcase then? Um, it was kind of a process. Um, I just started making a list of things that would be interesting, mm-hmm. um, random ideas that I had, and it just kind of evolved over the, the months. And mm-hmm. with people I met too, like, what can I create with them? What are they interested in writing about? Totally. Um, and it was really important to me that we talk about like sustainability and like social justice issues and like uh, have the magazine really diverse. That was kind of the base of it. Yeah. Um, and then everything kind of just fell into place randomly also. Right. Is everybody featured in the magazine local? 
No. Okay. Uh, a lot of, so I did this leadership program in Spain and that's what kind of kicked off the magazine. Okay. Um, we had to do a big project that involved a lot of people. Mm. And so that's when I was like, okay, maybe it's time I do this magazine that I've been thinking about. And a lot of people in the group were from different countries. We were from 18 different countries altogether. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my friends in the program were like, oh, I'll write about this, I'll write about that. Yeah. So I ended up having people in Europe, some people in the States and then here as well. Mm, wow. Yeah. How did you think that like helped create depth for the magazine? I think it just created different perspectives instead mm -hmm. of just like one note. And I, there's also an article in French and I really want the other issues to have more French as well. Mm. I feel like that was really important. Um, but yeah, I think it, it, it's important that we don't have just one perspective, one opinion. Mm -hmm. It was like same mm -hmm. kind of people. Yeah, was it all women or was it mixed gender? Uh, there's men and women. Yeah. Um, I feel like the aesthetic of the magazine was getting more into a feminine direction this mm -hmm. time, um, but I want the future issues to be more neutral. Mm -hmm. um, I think it'd be important that uh, like everyone can feel represented in it also. Mm -hmm. Of course. Why the name on garbage then? Um, that's a funny question. I don't remember how that happened. I think <laughs> it just kind of, I just kind of thought of that one day. I, um, a few years back, I was taking pictures of garbage like every day. I would go <laughs> outside with my camera. And when I first started, I'm like, people will think I'm crazy and I'm not going to do it. I was so like scared. I would take my phone out and just take a couple pictures. Because yeah. uh, people here in the city li leave stuff on the street yeah. a yes. lot. But I've never seen that before. Like I'm from Quebec City. No one does that there. It'd yeah. be so weird. You're like, pick up your garbage. What are you doing? Right. So, <laughs> I was like, wow, wow, there's all this stuff on the sidewalk. What's going on? And then sometimes I would see some and just the way it's like laid out, uh -huh. I thought looked kind of cool. Yeah. And so I started, I started to take pictures of just garbage on the street. And then the more I did that, the more I saw garbage everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and then, I don't know, I was just talking one day and I was like, we, I feel like we need to ungarbage the world. <laughs> and, uh, and then it just kind of sucked. I was like, oh, that's the name. So. <laughs> <It> <laughs> but is. I literally, I have hundreds of pictures of trash on my computer. Yeah. <laughs> It is something weird because it's not, I didn't grow up in a place that people left like furniture and stuff on the sidewalks. We're like, take me. Never. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like a city thing, maybe? maybe. maybe. It makes sense because like, oh yeah, I'd like that. I grab, I grab things sometimes that I really like. They're yeah. just on the side of the street. It's perfect. <laughs> right. Sometimes I worry about bugs when that right. happens, but. I wouldn't grab like a clothes or a mattress or anything but <laughs> where I used to live I would put things on the curb and literally five minutes and it's gone they'd be gone That's it so goes funny. by so quick yeah it's like the Bermuda Triangle <laughs> yeah at some point my favorite thing was to look for colored toilets because I started to find a few oh yeah and I was I would find these like purple toilets mint yeah uh, pink I found this mint stove one time I was just like oh my god like it's pure trash but it was just so exciting <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, what I'm kind of hearing when you talk about how you like um, to always have like a goal in mind or a product or like an, a finish line, I'm like trying to say this in a way that makes sense. Because when I feel that way, I'm going to use myself as an example. It's, mm, hmm. I don't want to use the word like control freak, but when I notice myself feel that way, where I'm like, oh, if I'm not here, I could be working on something else. Oh, if I'm not, 
waste wasting my time. I don't know. Does that make sense? No. I feel like it does not make sense. Oh, you asking me? Like, do you feel like a need to like be in control of all of the things that you're working on, and that's why you don't like wasting time? Does that make sense? Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's about control. I think it's more like I'm like excited to work on those things that I want to work on, right. and I feel like when I don't, I'm delaying them happening, or I'm delaying the life I want because mm. I'm just doing nothing instead. Right. And it's really bad because sometimes I should be resting and I'm not. Yes. And yeah. like literally there's times doing the magazines that I'm fully burning out and I'm, I'm pushing through mm-hmm. and I'm literally destroyed and I'm still pushing through. And there's sometimes it's like I, I almost need someone to be like, hey, no, you know, you're not allowed <laughs> to do anything. This is, this is too much. You've reached a point. Like, I feel like I only noticed after right. that I've passed a point of like, no, you should have stopped, you know, a month ago because this is too much. Also, there's like such thing as like over picking at something, you know, like yeah. over like working on something so much to like, like you're over picking, like sometimes you need to like step away from it, yeah. you know, when you like have those moments, like who are the people that like are like, you need to chill out. I mean, my partner tells me all the time, but also everyone in my life, it's kind of the joke I always make is I wasn't even born and I already needed to relax. Yeah, I was yeah. born like two and a half months early. Yeah. And uh, I was supposed to be born in September. And in May, the doctors had to take, like my mom had to take pills to just kind of, so I chill in there. So wow. I don't try to come out because I was trying to come out. So it's kind of the story of my life. So right. I feel like everyone wants me to calm down. Uh, <laughs> and it's kind of like, I, I can appreciate that and I understand why mm-hmm. they're say, why they're saying that because I could benefit from rest from time to time. Course, but yeah. I also feel like it's giving me a lot of opportunities for me to kind of go at the speed that I go at that I wouldn't yeah. have maybe been able to grab if I was slowing down. Right. So I can't say like, and also it's kind of hard not being who you are. You know, course, like it's, yeah. yes. it's uh, it literally it's like I fell in the coffee pot. And then, so I'm always on the coffee buzz, so I can't. People are always telling you to slow down. Sometimes it's, it's frustrating. Of course, you know, like, yeah. maybe you guys speed up. Why me? Yeah. Why always me? Right. But, but right, there needs to be like give and take on both ends of that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like everyone should be able to exist in their own speed and their own way, and it yes. should be fine. So, have you ever had a moment where you've been working on something and you've been like, "Well, something's not right. I need to step away from it and not just like think about it, though." Or have you had a moment when you're when you're like, no, this like do you or do you have that narration happening in your brain where you can say, okay, like this is time to work on it and keep working on it, or this is time to step away from it? I feel like it's more of an intuitive feeling for me. Like it's kind yeah. of in my body. Like yeah. this cannot happen. Like we were gonna do a photo shoot and I just had a huge feeling like this can't happen. Okay. Um, and I didn't know exactly why. Yeah. Like it was just kind of, is it the concept or is it the time or is it the people I'm working with or is mm. it me? And I couldn't really tell, but I just knew I okay. need to like pull the plug on this. Hmm. So I still don't know why I did it, but I know that it was the right thing to do because I, I was truly exhausted too. So yeah, 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 it's like that gut feeling, you know, like something like isn't right about it and you need to like figure out why, you know? Yeah. And yeah. sometimes I feel like sometimes you don't know. It's just how it is. It's just a feeling of you can't, this can't be done or this, ha- you have to let go of this thing without fully knowing why. Yeah. yeah. I try to trust that because it's served me well in the past. So, of course. Yeah.
Did you find moving to Toronto that you felt like the pace that you were working at felt better? Yeah, it yes. felt so much better. <laughs> oh my God. I, um, I moved for work. So my work said, Hey, we need someone in Toronto. Can you go now for like two weeks? Right. And I said, okay. And I ended up staying for a month. And, um, as soon as I was here, literally the first week I'm working, I'm like, Oh my God, everyone loves me here because I can go fast <laughs> and I can be out of the way and yeah. just gone. You know, like yes. Quebec city is a slower pace. Mm -hmm. And I used to also live in Alberta in the mountains in Canmore and it was even slower pace. So slow up it there. It just feels like <laughs> I don't belong anywhere. Right. And so, yeah, as soon as I was here, it was like, I can breathe. I get to exist. You know, this is, mm -hmm. this is great. Yeah. I felt something similar when I moved here where I was like, oh, everybody is doing everything at a very quick pace and you just kind of like get swept up in it and then you just keep going. Yeah, it's such a great energy. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's like motivating. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree. It's not for everybody, but... It's motivating until you're burnt out and then yeah. you're like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Yes. <laughs> it's also really funny to think about like <laughs> just different dynamics between like um, people that like have live in the city and like work at a specific pace versus people that live in areas that are like you can slow down it's fine because you find that even like the way that people um interact like have you ever seen like a person who's like from the city and like working in a business talk to someone who's like from a rural area it's like they're always like <laughs> shorthanding everything to you right they're just like i need this now it's not like no time for pleasantries it's like <laughs> this is what i need this is what i need now and it's like they're not being rude to you they're not being like they're not mad at you they're just like this is how it this is how they're working. And sometimes in like those other slower areas, they're more like, so I think that what I need right now, <laughs> and like the, there's like, it's really interesting sometimes. I like, I noticed, sometimes you don't always have time to like sugarcoat things for mm -hmm. people, you know? Sometimes it's just like, I need this now and this is what it needs to be said, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's really interesting just like how people like take on different, um, characteristics just from being in these different areas. Yeah. And yeah. the, the cool thing about Toronto is people can be direct and, and nice. I know that everyone says Canadians and Canadians are nice, but, uh, just being from like the French part of the country, I feel like we are not as nice in a way. Not that we're not nice, <laughs> but we're more like, you want this? Okay. You know, yeah. when I first moved out West, you, I would go to the grocery store and people, people would be like, Hey, how's it going? And I'm like, I don't know. Why are you asking me? Yeah. I'm just trying to pay my <laughs> And I thought it was the weirdest thing. It took me months to understand, like, no, these people are just being friendly to you. They're not trying to, like, dig for information. <laughs> yeah. They're just being friendly. I'm like, what does that mean? You're, like, constantly uh, paranoid. Like, like, walking down the street, how's it going? I'm like, what do you mean? I don't know you. <laughs> I know. I get like that because I'm from, like, a small town, so... When I know when I've been in the city for like a long time, I like get home and people say things to me and I'm always like, what the fuck is happening? Like, <laughs> or like I, I get weirded out by like things that, or like people that talk to you on the street. That's mm -hmm. like a big thing. If I'm like where I'm from, if someone is like saying something to me on the street, I'm like, do not even look at me. Do not talk to me. 90% of the time it's someone I literally know, but like, because <laughs> I always have like my blinders up from being in Toronto, just like, don't talk to anyone. Don't look at anyone weird too long. It's like, just <laughs> keep your head down and listen to your music. And then when I go home, it's like, someone's like, hey, and I'm like, no. <laughs> like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Sorry, I went to high school with you. Or something weird. Yeah. Yeah, it's so different. Yeah. Um, you talked a little bit about 
uh, how like doing multiple jobs to create the thing you like and how it's like kind of um, unsettling that like a lot of times artists are creating, doing like these hundreds of jobs to make the thing that they like. And you're like, is that actually like succeeding? And is that making them more successful or are they just delaying the time that they make the thing? Can mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I guess um, I was just noticing um, making the magazine and also from a lot of people I know who are trying to do either create their own business or do anything artistic, I just feel like you always start with a step back because you can't just focus and do it. Like mm -hmm. if uh, I wanted my career to be, I don't know, a pharmacist, I could just go to school and then get a job and then do it. And it's like, I'm already living my life purpose or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. But if, uh, if I want to create a magazine, then I'm like, I have to think, okay, I'm, I have to work full time. I'm trying to, this, this is literally what I'm doing now is like, I'm working full time. I'm trying to do freelance gigs that will be complementary with the magazine so yeah. I can merge them together. Um, and then also like, it's kind of doing three, three things at once, like mm -hmm. a full-time job plus a, a side thing that will help the main thing. Right. And then working on the main thing and giving it your full energy. Right. It's not the same as if you were able to be paid and work on, on something and create value. Right. Um, and I just feel like it's a shame because it just makes it so much more difficult. And so there's so many people who have amazing things to that they can create they are so talented and it's they can't reach it because not everyone can pull that extra work like mm -hmm. not everyone can work 100 hours a week to make it happen mm -hmm. you, know, you know like um making the magazines there's a few times where i had to stop for months because i couldn't because there yeah. was no way i could continue right like i would literally go for a walk with my dog and i'd be like i might pass out on the sidewalk of like exhaustion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, and I just feel like it's just kind of sad that we can't, um, we can't find a better way for everyone in every different field to have a chance at creating what is important to them. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, do, do. What would be a way that you think that would help that? I feel like having uh, grants or having options like support for people to have some sort of income where they could um, put more attention into their project yeah. or maybe even like the cost of living in the city. Like sometimes I'm thinking, oh, if I were to go home, I, my rent would be $700 a month and I could then work on my thing all the time because right. I would have to make so little mm -hmm. to be able to, to live. So I feel like it's really exciting to be in Toronto. There's so many opportunities, but it's also creating more of like a hustle to yes. like the base you need to survive is already so much higher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it definitely comes down to like financial support. Yes, mm -hmm. I agree with that. And it's also like if everyone values valued art a little bit more and put money into it, it's not just having grants from the government. It's like um, for example, we don't pay for music anymore. Yeah. And no. like the, the, the money you can get on streaming is nothing. And so when I think of artists who create music and the amount of work that right. they put in to make one song and the fact that they can get no money from that, it's very, um, it's unbelievable. It's so sad. Yeah. Well, that was like a huge issue with like when iTunes switched to like an I 
like an Apple Music, right? Yeah. There was like a huge issue with like Taylor Swift because they were like asking them to like sign their their like um, artists their rights away, basically. their rights away to like yeah. give and not get paid enough. I don't actually even know what ended up happening with that. With Taylor Swift specifically? Well, no, I think that she was like one of the first people to be like, we're not signing this mm. because she was like, I'm not making enough money off of you doing like a subscription Apple Music service. Right. But obviously something must have happened where they like switched how much they were paying them or something. Because they're literally getting like a fraction of a cent or something per stream. Yeah. And actually Spotify is the worst of all of them. Is it? Because it pays the worst. So I try to use Tidal because that's the the platform that pays the artist the most. They pay right. almost double. Tidal is the one by Jay-Z? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's why I put the playlist on in the magazine. There's a playlist. There's like a QR code to a playlist. Yeah. And I did the playlist on Tidal because mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure artists get paid the most for the streaming because mm -hmm. it's already nothing. Right. So, yeah. yeah. I had Tidal for a bit. I, didn't, I don't have it anymore. But I don't know why that one's not bigger. I mean, everyone's using Spotify and... And they, they, they don't yeah. want to change it and they don't want to redo their playlist and they don't want to kind of I do find, change. I do find Spotify's like platform is easier to use. Like even like Apple Music's platform is like a fucking nightmare, I feel like. There's like, it's the same things that come up on um, like the Discover or like if it's like doing a suggested music, it's like not as good as the Spotify one. So I wonder the, if it's like the platform. The AI and the UX design is better in Spotify. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 100%. That's where the money goes, maybe. Probably, yeah. <laughs> it does, though, because, like, UX is so important because if someone just finds your app, like, a tiny bit distracting or not convenient to use, how often are they going to go back to it? Yeah. yeah. You know? It's super, super important. It's, like, it's basically customer retention, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I also feel like we have to sacrifice some of our comforts to support the industry like that's kind of the same thing it's like if we were prepared to pay a yeah. little bit more right um even maybe we pay a little bit more for spotify and artists can get more money or we use an app that's a little bit yeah. less easy to use but artists are getting more money it's kind right. of like it comes down to what matters most to us to as you as a consumer yeah yes mm -hmm. yeah how much does your magazine um run for if someone was wanting to buy it it's 25 dollars. and you can you how do they order it? Uh, it's on the website, so yeah. on garbagemag.com. Yeah. Um, they, they can, people can DM me on Instagram. I've been doing like free deliveries in Toronto oh, as cool. well, just to help. Because mm -hmm. I know like not everyone can afford the price of the magazine and shipping. All right. Um, and I have a hybrid car and I can deliver by bike too. So I'm trying <laughs> to think that it's, it's okay. <laughs> How, um, when was the first like launch day? Uh, I feel like the launch time was very like long because I sort of launched a Kickstarter in May. Okay. And then we ran a Kickstarter for a month to finance the printing. And then after that, everything had to be finished and everything. So it launched again officially mid-August. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I'm so behind. Like I haven't done any like press release or any big thing because it just feels like I don't even have time to, right. to make a list or figure all the details. So mm -hmm. everything is, is like I'm dropping little droplets about it here and there. Right. <laughs> it's like a slow launch. Can yeah. I, can <laughs> I, not by choice. <laughs> can I ask how many you printed off in the first round? 
I printed 500. Wow. Um, I wanted to print more because like with the cost of printing, the more you print, the mm. lower your cost and it's yes. better. Mm -hmm. um, and also with the offset printing, there's a bit of waste because it's all on big plates and they have to adjust the color. Yes. Um, so there's a bit of paper waste. Um, but yeah, for this run, only 500. Nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who'd you print with? I printed with Numerix. It's a Quebec division. It's a smaller division of uh, Solisco, which is a big Canadian printer. Yes. Right. Um, and I really like them. They're so great. They're a sustainable printer. So all our paper is 100% recycled. Uh, we also uh, worked with the print relief program. So we planted trees to offset the, the amount of paper that was used. Wow. And I also have like boxes at home of covers that were from the waste. I think I have like yeah. something like 5,000 covers because <laughs> I was going to make, I thought it'd be cool to make notebooks. Like I thought I could get some paper and just kind of staple and make small notebooks right. to sell and maybe the money goes to charity or something, but it's just kind of sitting in my, in my house right now. <laughs> right. 5,000 covers, that's like unprinted? Like not They're blank. printed, but they just cut them for me, but they were going to be, that was going to be waste. So they have like the ungarbaged yeah. cover that is the current cover on them. Yeah, so it's just oh. the cover and the back. So I thought, oh, cool, I could just use it and make a little notebook or that something. That is cool, actually. Yeah, just like, that would be very cute. Yeah. Coil it or something. Yeah. yeah, and like maybe in the future, once there's more money, then I can actually get them to do it and make an actual notebook. Like yeah. And kind of sell it with the mag. So it's like you're buying the magazine and you're buying the waste of the magazine, which I right. thought was a cool idea. Right. That was a cool idea. Hmm. It's interesting to me to hear you talk like so passionately about like, um, for example, like um, making sure it's like your magazine's green, like you said, keeping like anything that was like technically garbage to like redistribute and re to make it something. Um, and then also to talk about like artist fees, because like all these things that are really important that are like super like green matter. Um, and then to do like a magazine, which is like a lot of paper, which even though it's like, a, like you're saying, you're doing like the best possible thing you can do to like help with the paper and everything. Um, but it's just like such an interesting like contrast, you know, mm -hmm. because in a way you would think that if you had these ideas, you'd also be like, well, then it has to go online. But you also wanted that hard copy to like be able to hold in your hands. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we still buy books about sustainability totally. and like <laughs> yeah, yeah. we buy books about everything. And I, I totally agree. It's yeah. kind of a, a I was just wondering but, if you like personally struggle with it, like knowing um, that. I don't. I feel like everything that we do has a cost. Mm -hmm. Even if I did do a, a website with an online platform that would still have an environmental cost, that totally. would still have a carbon footprint because mm -hmm. we still need... Like the, there's a carbon footprint to, to internet in, mm -hmm. in a sense, like all the data that's stored, uh, we're still using energy to store that data. Yeah. Um, I was reading an article that like, if internet was a country, it would be the fifth most polluting country in the world. Yeah. So if reading, if the internet was a country, oh, the internet. Wow. it would be, yeah, because yeah. of like literally the data has to be stored somewhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also wanted to create this like slow consumption approach and I feel like like information consumption that's slow so if we are doing that online it's like oh I can read it for five seconds and then I go and I read something else yeah. and I wanted something that someone can sit with for an hour or two like keep it for a while and just kind of go back to it and I yeah. I think for me that had enough value to compensate for the paper and then I try to do everything to offset the carbon footprint, even our packaging is all compostable. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, like only the little cardboard pads are recycled cardboard, yeah. but they're not compostable. Everything else is. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I kind of want to like get back to, can I ask you how much your first Kickstarter was for the printing? You mean the amounts that we wanted to read? Yes. Um, it was 8,888. <laughs> <laughs> and how much did Kickstarter take? <laughs> Um, I think we did something like 8,900 and something, something, I think $56. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the thing is I needed more than that to print the issue, yeah. like, but I knew it's like, okay, now I have to run a Kickstarter through a pandemic and like, what am I doing? Am I not doing it or what? Right. And I thought, yeah, okay, I'm just going to put a number that, that I feel good about that has nothing to do with what I need and see what happens, you mm -hmm. know, and I'll, I'll deal with the rest. Um, so I had to work extra to kind of finance the, the yeah. rest of the printing, but I'm just glad we were able to do it, to be honest. Yeah. How much did Kickstarter take? Uh, what do you mean? Well, cause Kickstarter takes a certain percentage. Oh, oh how much did it take? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's it takes more than you think. And then another for transaction fee overall, they took like $700. Yeah. But I was a bit disappointed because they didn't do a lot of effort to try to help market it. Yeah. Um, all of the traffic was from me or like the my platforms. They said they put in a, new, a, a newsletter, so I got two bids out of that, but that's it. And then the, the girl who was in charge of publishing projects for Kickstarter wrote me and said, oh, we're really interested in your project. We're gonna try to put more ads like about it and put it um, in different places. So I said, cool. And then two weeks later, she said, ah, actually I got laid off because of COVID, my entire department. And I was like, oh, oh my God, I feel so sad, like oh. so bad for her. So yeah. Why? It's like crazy to me that Kickstarter was laying people off. Mm -hmm. Why? Like, where are they losing money? Cause if anything, you'd think that they'd be more busy cause everyone's losing their job. So more Kickstarter campaigns would be started, right? Yeah. So I'm just like, I feel like a lot of companies are, I mean, maybe I just don't know like the internal workings of companies, but like, <laughs> I feel like a lot of companies also are using like COVID as like, oh, we had to lay all these people off. But like, did you have to lay all these people off? Like, where is, where is it affecting your, how much money you're bringing in as a company, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, cause I don't understand why Kickstarter Maybe their stocks. I don't know. It's very interesting to me why they would be letting people off. Like, where are they? Where's their loss of income for this quarter? Right. I don't know. And there's projects on there that are that millions of dollars of in like investments. Like people, like a yes. there was a water bottle that was like millions of dollars in yeah in, in bids. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how they they work it out. But I I'm guessing to the the publishing side of Kickstarter is not probably not the one that makes the most money. It says on there that only 30% of the projects actually get funded. Right. So that's not, that's not a super high percentage success rate. No. Oh, poor thing. It's kind of like a dying industry a little bit, you know, everyone's telling me like, Oh, why would you do a print magazine? No one reads them anymore. Yeah. Even yesterday I bought a, I'm doing the hippie market this weekend. Oh yeah. So yesterday I bought a little, thing from my booth, a little metal display. And the guy's like, people still read. He's like, what oh do you God. sell? I said, oh, selling a magazine. He's like, people still read. But it's visual. <laughs> it's not, I, I mean, we looked at it. It's like, it's very beautifully, like there are articles in it, but it's like very visual to look at. You know, it's yes. like very pretty, mm -hmm. I think. So people can like, they don't have to read. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, like, it's, it's good. I hate reading. So, <laughs> what? <laughs> I do I hate reading. Universe or like my master's ruined reading for me. I like tried picking up a book after finishing. I was like, ugh, I'm able to read for pleasure. And then I was like, I fucking hate this. <laughs> it sucks. It has to be like a very I don't know some things I read, but like I hate like it's hard for me to read things. I think I don't know why. I like when it's short. Yeah. I feel like when uh, things are too long to read, I always fall asleep. I don't yeah. know why. It's like my brain thinks she's not doing anything. She's just sitting. It's time for sleep. And yeah. I always five minutes and I'm gone. <laughs> yeah. I have to tell myself 10 pages, 10 pages, just read 10 pages today, which is like, that's like the best way. Cause then you have like a dead, like you're just like, I have to read just that little bit, which takes like under 10 minutes. Right. <laughs> so you're a fast reader. if I'm trying to read like a book, I just am like, just do 10 pages today, 10 pages. That's all you need. And that's what they say. They say you should read 10 or for 10 minutes or 10, 20 pages or something like that every day. Hmm. It's like what they're, I don't know where I got that stat, but I feel like a lot of people have posted that <laughs> being like, all you have to read is this amount. So that's how I read. <laughs> I don't know. It's very weird. Why? Nothing. I was just gonna be like, advice from the internet. It helped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I believe you. Um, how did you pick your photographers? Um, some people I met online. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of Facebook groups uh, really helped. Yeah. Um, just saying, hey, I'm, I'm working on this project. And yeah. then random people messaged me and I met with every single person. Yeah. Um, and then some people I knew that were already doing photography and I liked what they did. So I asked them. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it was kind of a mix. And did, was it like you or was it the photographer or was it like a mix about who had the inspiration for certain looks on the pages? A lot of the times I came in with like an idea of what I wanted to do, but I like to work in a way that's like, this is an idea, but I have no idea what it's going to look like. Yeah. You know, here are some clothes and this is what I'm thinking, but let's roll with what happens. Mm -hmm. And so everyone in the moment was really good at like adding to it, having different ideas. Yeah. So it was really a collaboration. Wow. Hmm. That's so great. That's so great. Um, do you have any, is there anything that you would have done differently? Hmm. I think the only thing I would have done differently, two things. Um, one thing is I was really loose with people with deadlines, mm. especially writers be like, uh, just send it to me when you can and I because I didn't want it to be like this has to be produced because right. I didn't want it to be businessy you know I right. want it to be we're not gonna rush this thing the production of it yeah. um, but at the same time I have to realize like everyone works at different speed right. and everyone's idea of a timeline is different so maybe being a little bit more firm could have been a bit quicker because like the editing and the different rounds of editing took a long time mm -hmm. and just i think there was more than 20 different writers so it was just like a lot of people to manage mm -hmm. yes um and then the other thing is is actually the opposite is like for me to rush so much to try to do things it's like it doesn't make sense that i would kill myself to make something that's talking about let's not kind of kill ourselves to mm -hmm. just to be able to do what we want or to right. live you know so it was kind of like mm -hmm. it's it's always a challenge it's like how do you create more space and do something in a way that's not that doesn't feel so stressful and and like a rush and also deliver something 
you know? Right. Like it's, and that's why I was talking also about like the, the hustle of creating something because it's not really good for, for me, it wasn't really good for my mental health and physical health to do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But if I didn't do it like that, then where's the time? Then when do I get to do it? Never, because then if I say, people would say, oh, well, uh, you just need to chill. Okay, but if I stop right now, all I can do is work and eat and watch TV and go to bed. So I'm quitting all the things that I want to work on mm -hmm. instead of quitting the things I don't want to work on. Yes. So it's like I have to hustle to get there. Otherwise, I can't. Otherwise, how am I going to, you know, work's never going to just stop. Right. No. So it's, it's kind of, that's where I find it difficult, mm -hmm. you know? Yes. Mm -hmm. And we're like told so much. I, I feel like I've looked at other magazines or other people doing stuff and we're always showing, even on social media, people overworking, you know, it's 11 p.m. working on this thing, mm -hmm. working on a Saturday, yeah. overworking, overworking. And it's mm -hmm. like we glorify this overworking as like, it's so great. You're doing it. And it is great. You're doing it. You're getting stuff done. But it's also not good. Like mm -hmm. it's not for me. I do it, but it's, it wasn't always good for me. And I just feel like it's kind of a catch-22. Because mm -hmm. if, if you don't hustle, you can't get there. But if you, if you do, you get there, but you're hurt. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if, like, a lot of that, like, glorified overworking comes from, like, university. Because people are, like, in five courses. And, like, if you have, like, a really hard course, you're, like, working really hard, really, like, late in to like the library or something like that. And that's like, people are like glorifying them working. And then that mentality just gets brought into like their everyday life when they like have a job or if they have like a nine to five, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I remember being in business school and the first day uh, there was like an assembly or something. And the guy said, we're going to teach you how to work 40 hours a week and then be able to work another part-time job and still have a life. And I was kind of like, Ooh, that sounds great. And now I think about it today and I'm like, that's crazy. That's horrible. <laughs> yeah. There's why, no work life balance. Do that? Yeah. 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 So I don't, it's just something I don't know how to work life balance. <laughs> I don't think anybody talks about that in university. No, no, not at all. No, it's definitely something worth talking about. We have a question uh, for you. Is being an artist fucking killing you? Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Amazing. Right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, if people wanted to buy the magazine, where do they go? They can go to the website at ungarbagemag.com. Mm -hmm. um, you can order it there. You can also send me like a direct message on Instagram and I can deliver you a copy. Yeah. And on Instagram, it's ungarbagemag, right? Ungarbagemag, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you so much. That was so nice. Um, if you guys are interested or you want to learn information, um, please send us a message. Send you a message. Um, leave us a review and let us know what you think. Thank you. Bye.